0: Midwest Direct was founded in 1982 as a provider of mail pre-sorting operations. Back then, employees did it the hard way, standing in front of cubbyholes and manually hand-sorting the mail by zip code. Today... Our technology has advanced to the point where just one of our machines can sort up to 50,000 pieces per an hour. Midwest Direct is a marketing and communications company focused on helping marketers deliver engaging messages and interpret the results. We deliver over 2 million messages every day that land in mailboxes, inboxes, and in online ads. Then help our marketers understand where their ROI and ROAS is in advertising. Hi, Michelle Toivonen, Director of Strategic Marketing here at Midwest Direct. And today I'm joined by Gary Seitz, VP of Data and Analytics for C-Track Direct at Midwest. Hi, Gary.
1: Hi. Hey.
0: So, Gary, um, we're actually asking you back to do a little bit of a deeper dive on how you work with data to help retailers especially, but pretty much anybody who needs it. Develop personas.
1: Yes, actually, yeah, we've done work with uh, retailers and some nonprofits. Uh, I find it extremely beneficial. So, yes, glad to help.
0: So, why don't we start with on um, a lot of? So, obviously, a lot of marketers really want to have good persona information. They tend to do a pretty good job of knowing sort of their basic one, but. Tell me how you can use data to help them develop either a deeper one, a more detailed version of it.
1: I think, I think that's the whole key, Michelle, is um, most businesses know who their general uh, customer is, uh, their target group, the, the largest persona of people. Uh, but this is an opportunity to explore uh, what who else, um, what other segments might there be that they could dwell into? Uh, again, whether it's a retailer or, or even a, a nonprofit. Um, and we start by by taking uh, customer or donor history, and we like to work with more recent data.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, the data, uh, the donors or the customers within the last two years. Okay. Okay. Um, a lot of companies think, well, you know, let's let's dump five or six or even ten years of data, and it it doesn't prove worthwhile uh, because of changes that might have occurred either in the industry or the type of customer or the product or service offerings. Um, so we we like to start by uh, with that two year group.
0: Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this part of the reason that that it doesn't really work to go back because I know that sometimes marketers will say something like yeah but our really our best year was, you know, four years ago and we're trying to recapture that. Um, part of the reason that doesn't work is that the data you're using ties back to home addresses. Um, and those change.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and <clears throat> again, it's all part of our process too when we're we're building these personas. Uh, That we do a complete hygiene scrub of the data, but it's more difficult with data that's four and five years old to uh, to get correct information. And again, uh, it may have been a great year four years ago, but uh, the landscape has changed. And Mm -hmm. the the type of donor or customer that you have is entirely different, again, because your product or service uh, or the purpose of your organization has, has had a change. So we want to identify those.
0: Okay, so Gary, I know you're full of a thousand stories, and we love your stories around this. <laughs> so why don't you why don't you just tell us about one or two of your favorite case histories or case studies with building personas for clients, whether they're retail or nonprofits?
1: Well, sure. I, um, I'll start with with retail, and we've done several retail, retail organizations, um, especially those that have. Uh, locations throughout the country so they may have uh brick and mortar locations in 30 40 or or 50 locations uh, multiple states and uh, they tend to think okay it's time to acquire or rent a list or understand who the customers are that they're all the same and they're not Um, so we'd like to break it down by either state or area within um in one particular case uh they had locations in 30 states, so we built personas for each state, uh, looking at the primarily looking at the age, income, and, and home values, mm-hmm. and understand how the customer in Texas was different than the customer in Illinois and Ohio and Connecticut.
0: And do you see um, a lot of variability when you're doing that? Like, can oh, it look really different?
1: Yes, it is. It, it really is different, and it, it makes a change in in how they market mm-hmm. to the existing customers and also Mm -hmm. how we acquire new names, um, who the customer is. Uh, In other cases, uh, and my favorite example is a a customer that had uh, four store locations in the Chicago market area, Mm -hmm. um, sort of uh, Northeast, Northwest, Southeast, and Southwest. And um, we applied uh, some demographic uh, data to those customers. And we found out that the the customers on the western side of Chicago, the northwest and the southwest, were very similar. Uh, They were females in their uh, later 40s, early 50s. Uh, Household income was over $100,000, home value of around $200,000, $250,000. But then there was a a difference in the customer that was in the northeast area of Chicago. uh, Tended to be uh, older female, mid to upper 50s, even lower 60s. Uh, the income range was higher, 150 to 250, and higher home value, uh, 350, 350 thousand plus. So right. right away, just in those three locations, uh, we found two different types of customers to market to. But the the surprising thing was the customer that uh, uh, shopped at their downtown location. Okay. And When we applied demographics there, uh, we actually found that it was a male, in his mid to upper twenties and lower thirties, with income of a hundred thousand plus. And these were uh, single males who were, you know, um, working perhaps in the financial district of Chicago, Mm -hmm. um, who were um, shopping for their their loft home. Okay. Um, entirely different type of location. So it ended up being three different market niches in the Chicago area. Amazing,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, altered how they they acquired names to market in those areas.
0: Oh, and I'm sure they segmented everything out to market, just content development and creation probably really got different at the same time.
1: Yes, even speaking to the existing customers was quite different, yes.
0: Very interesting, okay.
1: (laughs) The other one was, a, a, uh, is, was actually a, um, a membership organization. It was a zoological society. Okay. And same thing. They wanted to build up their, their membership list. Uh, and I think most people would think, okay, well, for a zoological society, it's going to be a young family with children. Uh, and yes, that was the predominant group. Uh, okay. But when we apply the same sort of things, the, the uh, demographics, uh, age, income, um, we also looked at distance to find out how far people would travel to to go to their local zoo. Mm-hmm. And it did confirm that over 50% of their members were the young family with children. And found out, I think they're in about a radius of about 35 miles that they had membership for the Zoological Society. Um, but the second segment that we found um, were grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uh, those that were 60 plus uh and were bringing their grandchildren and they tended to be a little bit closer they were about 20 out to 20 miles from the zoo Mm -hmm. Uh, beyond that there there weren't a whole lot of members and we plotted them all out on on a map for them Mm -hmm. then we found a third segment uh which was really revealing and quite interesting and that was young married couples Um, in their young 20s um, recently married that were within about a five to 10 mile radius of the zoo. And it was because the zoo was holding frequent evening social activities, mm-hmm. um, whether it was, you know, wine tasting or, or fireworks or um, that sort of thing associated with zoo or adopting animals that they had a spike in membership for those young married couples. So I gave them a third segment also to uh, market for memberships to their Zoom program.
0: So I've been in some of these meetings where you get handed the data and they're expecting you to find maybe one more segment. And then you actually go to present the data and you give them the information of, um, actually, there's a third one. And in this case, it was young married couples within about 10 mile radius of that um, location. Yeah. And um, I know from experience, just sitting there with you, that brings up a myriad of questions for those marketers because sometimes they literally had no idea. Maybe somebody saw a few of those popping up in the CRM. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it's not a complete surprise, but. Um, they can be surprised at the, um, either the amount of people or the amount of activity from that particular group. What are some of the questions you end up answering for marketers when they get surprise data? What are some of the things they want to know?
1: Um, well, for, first, they want it validated. And that's part of our process. When we start with their data, um, we do a complete scrub on it. Uh, to ensure that we have good valid addresses, that it's current. Um, we, we do get rid of outliers um, so that, you know, there may be uh, members that have either moved or somebody gave a membership as a, as a gift uh, and they're outside the area. So we want to make sure that we're, we're focusing on the geographic area where their customers are. Um, sometimes they want to know more beyond the demographics. Uh, They want to know lifestyle interests. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's something else that we can add to the data. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had that happen with some, some nonprofit groups um, where they have a specific purpose. Um, Let's say for example, um, maybe it's a theater organization uh, and and they want to know more about um, who their members are, who's attending shows and that sort of thing. So we not only add the age and income of those various segments, but we may look at um, what are their recreational interests? Um, do they have summer homes? Um, are they, do they have a boat? Uh, do they attend sporting events? Um, do they tend to be more conservative or liberal in their, their leanings, their political leanings? And this is all information that's available. There, there's actually uh, well over 400 different types of demographic and lifestyle data that can be added to a database. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, some of it, it it does have a a cost associated with it. Uh, But again, it helps them not only speak to existing members, but also look for new members. Uh, And in the case of some of these nonprofits, um, if they're looking for supporters uh, in the business sector, uh, of who might be a sponsor or an advertiser uh, for a an event of course that that's changed this past year but uh, for an event or a show or a marathon a walk uh, whatever of what are the interests and they can go to these companies and say look we we have 5,000 members and we have a large portion of them that have a particular interest in uh, boating or sports or Uh, conservative political um, interests.
0: Get better results with better data. If you're like many companies, you have limited time and resources and or the expertise needed to maintain accurate up-to-date information in your CRM. Perhaps you struggle with data silos across your organization, which means your clients get inconsistent services and messaging. Maybe you have good data, but need to find more look-alike audiences, or address your biggest fans in new channels, or just send more consistent messages in all channels. For help with all of those challenges and more, contact Midwest Direct at one 800 686 six 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 or email info at mw-direct.com that takes care of some of the the questions that are around data that already exists so now i'm going to take you into Um, what I think is the dream quest of a lot of marketers when they want to work on personas, which is, can you find me (laughs) look-alikes?
1: That's a great question. Um, (laughs) Yes. So um, we we can actually go about it a couple of ways. Um, The first is is what I've been talking about all along, and that's actually appending the data. Mm -hmm. Um, And the advantage of appending the data is that our ultimate customer then owns the data
0: mm-hmm. uh, and
1: they can utilize it to speak directly to their customers or their donors um, because they have that information. The second option, and it, it's a lot less expensive option is that we can do a profile uh, of the customer donor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in that, the the data that I'm talking about, the, demographics, and the lifestyle interests are added, and a report is automatically generated for the customer, but they don't own the data. Okay. Uh, it makes it a little more diff- difficult to segment the customers, like we did with the Zoological Society. Um, but the, the let's say the retailer that we did that had multiple locations in several states, we actually went both approaches. We did, appended the data, Then we went back and we also did the profile reports. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in the profile reports, after the predominant demographics and lifestyle interests are added, then every household in their geographic area is scored based upon those characteristics. And then we get a ranking report for every zip code Um, in deciles that the top 90%, those that best match and 80% and 70% and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, so the households are scored. So then we can go back and acquire those top scoring names that match, uh, the various characteristics Mm -hmm. and utilize that in a marketing campaign. It's, it's a less expensive approach, uh, to do that. And, and we've had, um, extreme success with that both with nonprofits and I'm thinking even of a landscaping company Mm, uh, mm -hmm. that we we utilize that with uh I think this is like our fifth year okay Uh, we're we're actually using scored names to market to new customers uh, for their landscaping service
0: yeah that sounds like a really powerful tool um so, one more sort of a, another curveball I'm going to throw at you, okay. um, which is okay. So, we now know that with the um, CRM data that's so readily available, um, source attribution is one of the things that marketers are always looking for. Do you use first or last, is, is that a part of what you do when you're looking for personas? Or is that outside of that and you use it for something else?
1: Um, it, it can be used. Um, the, the difficulty is a, a lot of CRM systems don't capture uh, original source. Okay. Um, it, it does help because the same thing, we can use source to segment out customers so they can develop specific campaigns based upon source okay uh, and, and the last activity date whether it's a donor or a purchase yes uh, as I mentioned earlier we like to use data that's uh, two years or less uh, to help us identify who the current type of customer is mm-hmm. um, and, and this applies not only in a, in a consumer um, uh, b2c world but but also to a b2b Um, that the same thing can be done using data for businesses that we we can attach. It's called firmographics as opposed Mm -hmm. to demographics. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a type of business, um, the number of employees, uh, their sales activity, uh, their business lines, and it can be more than one, uh, just like our our own company has multiple business lines. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it can help us understand what we do. Uh, And and who your customers is. And it's the same thing. A a business will find out, okay, maybe the majority of your customers are in manufacturing with 20 to 50 employees, but you also have these other segments of businesses that you might want to consider approaching. And uh, it's the same thing. It can be a demographic append or it can be a profile report um, with scored businesses that match the characteristics of your existing customers. Um, But it is, it it really does help to have the source uh, and the activity dates to help us identify uh, each of those segments.
0: Well, now you've opened the door. and um, (laughs) Because I think I I have a little bit of an unfair advantage and I know what the capabilities of your team is with um, actually merging a whole lot, like very big data files. And where I was going with that is um, just knowing how some of our clients um, have struggled in the past where they've got data from multiple sources and maybe that, that data is about the same client record and you know they're showing up in email with a time and date stamp in one place, but they're showing up with online interactions uh, maybe on Facebook at another time and date um, if somebody really wanted to get at, like, where is this particular client record active, could you merge multiple sources together and come up with that information for them? Chronological? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah th- done that many, many times. Um, and again, that's it. There's so many silos of data in the business mm-hmm. between um, who the customers are in their, in their CRM system um sales people tend to maintain their own lists even though there's a crm mm-hmm. they may have a separate excel file um mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, well i probably shouldn't say this but but a lot of marketing departments also have their own lists separate <laughs> from the crm in the mm-hmm. sales department not that ours does right um, <laughs> uh, but but even the accounting department will have have lists uh, mm-hmm. customer service staff um and I know I've even seen that when we've helped company put together their Christmas lists because they have so many different sources of names to pull that together. Mm -hmm. So we can tag that, um, so that we can take any given record and identify uh, whose other database it's appeared on or, um, for marketing purposes, if you, if you have specific product lines or business lines, Um, which one of these customers are active across three of our business lines, as opposed to a single line buyer. Mm -hmm. And how can we use that then to approach them? Uh, And the same thing is taking, if it's a business, taking that firmographic data and saying, okay, you have this type of customer who only buys a single product line from you, as opposed to a different type of customer who's buying from multiple product lines and what they look like. And who's eligible to cross-sell as opposed to where can we find more of these, um, either in a specific geographic area or even nationally?
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um- Well, I can imagine that uh, a lot of people who are listening to this today have ideas about how they might want to try some of this for themselves. If I'm a marketer listening today and I really want to know more about how you can help me to understand my data better, um, use it to develop personas, get into sort of those specialty niche that maybe are hidden, what are my next steps, Gary?
1: well, the next step is to reach out to you, Michelle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or, or to me directly, and um, I, I like to start with a sampling of the database just to get a look at it, so I can get a feel for it, also, mm-hmm. to see what's there, mm-hmm. uh, and ask some questions about: Is there other data that's available, or how did you come about getting the data that you have? Um, sometimes when, when they send the data, we'll find out that they've already attempted some demographic appends and they include the data that they already have. Mm -hmm. Um, so it leads me down another path of looking at what they have, how valid is it? When was it last added? Mm -hmm. uh, Can we improve upon it? Um, we always need a minimum of 500 records, uh, to do any sort of analysis with data. Um, but I typically like to start with a larger realm if I can, of five sure. to ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, optimally, in any sort of profile or persona, a um, hundred thousand records is best.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, again, that's not always possible. Uh, it depends on the nonprofit or, or the company and, and how well their data collection is. Um, it, it's interesting that that um, one company sent me their file just over. Two months ago uh, they couldn't output it electronically so they generated a pdf uh, <laughs> listing <Yep. laughs> um, and i know that, that okay well if they've got it how can they create a pdf without electronic they didn't know how so i, I got a pdf file and mm-hmm. our, our data team was able to take the pdf and convert it back into a data file and with a little bit of editing, we were able to run a complete hygiene on it and uh, do a demographic append on it to understand who those were. So, Well,
0: that's impressive.
1: Yeah, so we can work with anything, uh, 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 contacting any of us through our webpage.
0: Okay, yeah. Thank you, Gary, for your time today. We really appreciate it. And we'll be sure and include some links below so people can talk right on over to you.
1: Great. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Michelle.
0: come a long way in the last 38 years and wanted to share some of our journey with you through the Plus Podcast with Midwest Direct. We developed these podcasts to support our clients in all the avenues of marketing they have to execute every day. Tune into the Plus Podcast every other Tuesday to hear interviews with industry experts, dispelling mail, data and marketing myths, real life case studies and more. We can't wait to share our insider knowledge, stories, and connections with you on The Plus Podcast, where The Plus means more.